I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. There were certain things that brought us all together back then. Clothes, music, ideas, graffiti, breakdancing. There was a common bond that was coming from an honest place that brought us all together. Wh what I see now is everyone is being brought together by things that aren't so real. I listen to the music and no one is saying anything. It's all degrading women and popping bottles. All right, that was Cassie, our producer, with her favorite quote from this week's guest, DJ Adam12. We're going to talk to Adam about how he's built a, a long-lasting career as a DJ, producer, musician. He's Obama's DJ. He's been Christina Aguilera's DJ. He's half of She Wants Revenge. And he's been beating up the clubs for as long as I can remember. He's going to take us through some of the lessons that have gotten him to where he is. Really knowing your audience, really knowing his craft, and not being afraid to take chances. So before we get into the interview... Let's check out this week's track of the week. Okay, that was the EDM.com track of the week. The track is from Burrs. It's called Wasted Emotions. If you're going to look him up online, Burrs is B-V-R-Z-Z. -Z. Yeah, I know. But it's a dope track, I think. If you check out some of his other stuff, you might like it. And if you're looking for more dance music to get into, check out EDM.com. You're listening to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. Rebel Radio is now on Dash Radio 
on the Hot Button channel Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific. We're also available 24-7 on iTunes, SoundCloud. We might be on uh, the nightly news if we're not careful. And now let's get into our interview with Adam 12. In my opinion, what ruined nightlife was bottle service and social media. Like the celebrities that don't go out anymore don't go out because they're afraid of having their picture taken. Right. Mm-hmm. But once you eliminate that, yeah. yeah, that's why we get Mick Jagger and we get Elton John and we get these people that don't go anywhere because yeah. they know that they're safe there. Yeah. And not only that, everybody's having fun dancing. It's not like some bullshit. Right. Mm-hmm. Why did bottle service ruin nightlife? Because it went from rooms full of people who were there because, for lack of a better word, they were cool. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The promoters would invite their friends and they would invite their friends and it was mm-hmm. cool. And mm-hmm. that's why you were there. You couldn't get in if you weren't in affiliated right. somehow with somebody. Then once you could get in based on a mm-hmm. credit card, everything changed. All those yeah. people just failed. Sure. All the original people, yeah. not all of them, but mo- for the most part, they just, th- why would they want to be around a bunch of people that were like giving Probably why they have so much turnover, those clubs. You know? and, w- and where do where do those people go now, you think? They don't. Yeah, they don't go out. Mm-hmm. They have dinner parties, mm-hmm. or they, you know, right. if, like they'll go to one-off special right. events or whatever. Yeah, but they don't go out. Yeah, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been to a place. Well, actually, I love I like going to the Dime. Dime's cool. It's awesome. It's one of those places where I loved it. One night I went out. I was like, this is awesome. It was like I don't even know what night of the week. Good music every night. Yeah, best DJs in town play there, and it's yeah. not for the money. It's and really it's mm-hmm. so small. Yeah, and everyone's just dancing. That and I went to Bar Lubitsch. Yeah, Lubitsch is cool. It's the same, uh, uh, same. It's basically the same idea. Same people DJ places. Yeah, they were doing some old school stuff. It was really cool. Yeah, Lubitsch is cool. I mean, there's still a few existing places in LA where, Mm -hmm. and everything's different. All the all the dive bars are gone. Yeah. Yeah, I hate that. I mean, I live in Venice, and there's there's a couple left out there, but it's not much. Dirty. Yeah. (laughs) I can't do it. We just we end up having people over our place and just playing music. That's how it goes. <laughs> but I think about that a lot. Like when when we were coming up and uh, like there weren't that many clubs in Hollywood, so you'd be going like way out. You know, you'd go to Jules or you'd go to the Music Machine on Pico or like it's like Pico and Bundy. Like there's mm-hmm. imagine a hot club being there. Yeah, it's impossible, right? Uh, you'd go downtown that had nothing. You'd go, you know, Rodolfo's. You'd go to these like crazy places that were um, really spread out. And, you know, what I, that, I think that's interesting because you had to like make an effort to get there. You know, it was going to be a half hour drive through a shitty neighborhood. You're, there's no GPS, so you're probably going to get lost. You know, <laughs> there's no valley parking. So you're probably, you know, you're like, you had to work really hard to go have a good time. And, uh, and I think that kind of contributes to what you're talking about is like, once you work that hard, you're not just going to stand in the corner taking pictures. I mean, we couldn't, you know, cause we didn't have cameras, but, <laughs> but like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you were there to have fun. I mean, you didn't know what to expect other than maybe who was DJing. You probably had yeah. an idea of who was going to be there, but it's not like you can pretty much go on 
Instagram and just figure out where you're going, what it's going to be like. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I yeah. do that when I travel to different countries. Yeah. I check their feed. Almost anything you do now, if you just spend five minutes online, you sure. can have a really good idea of who's going to be there, what's right. going to be happening. But back then, you just see a piece of paper with somebody's name on it who's yeah. DJing and whoever was promoting. Yeah. And you just go, wow, you know, that combination sounds fun or someone performing. Like, let's do it. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, you know, it was an adventure, really. Part of it was the yeah. excitement of not knowing what was, what was going to happen. And, Absolutely. And wanting to be, I mean, I, man, we would drive across town. Now people just don't want to leave their little bubble of yeah. like Hollywood or wherever sure. they live. Whatever's yeah. convenient. Not in this traffic. Right. What city is doing it right? Out of none? I think all cities do it right. You just have to find, find it. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's somewhere everywhere that's, mm-hmm. I, it really just comes down to what's right for you too. You know, like I don't want to knock what happens in Hollywood because there are people that go to those parties that enjoy it. They didn't ha- they don't have the references that we have. Right. We sure. grew up in a different time. It's easy for us to like right. come down on those parties and go, man, these kids aren't having any fun, but they, yeah, they're know, having just as much fun. Cause I, I go out and I, I check the DJs right. a lot. I just want to hear what what the big fuss is about some of these guys. And when you're a 21-year-old listening to a DJ play a string of hits with no purpose other than just to play a string Mm -hmm. of hits, Mm -hmm. it's different than when we went out because there was a beginning and a middle and an end to a night. There's peaks and valleys Mm -hmm. and it was more of a roller coaster and an experience. And the DJ could really control the room and make people dance, make people go to the bar, make people fight, make <laughs> people fuck. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, you know, it's not like that anymore. So right. part of me is like, my, my instincts are, this guy sucks. Right. But then I, you know, I have to take a step back and go, well, it's just what it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not, just doing something. He's just doing his thing, and people are enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. And the job of the DJ is to make whatever room he's in have a good time. And if that's what is working at that particular party, then so be it. Who am I to say anything about it? You know, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I go back and forth on that. Like, you <laughs> Based know, on these interviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I get it, and I'm I'm trying to evolve, and. Um, you know, I think we're in an era where the bar is, is just in a different place than it was, right? That, you know, what it means to be a DJ, what what music means in society, right? And, w- and we come from a very specific culture where music was not only central to our lives, but it was changing the world, right? And like you said, the, the lyrics, what it re- represented, <coughs> you know, the... Um, you know, before EZ, basically nobody cursed on a record, right? And that's had a major impact, not just on hip hop, but on on the world at large. And you know, on on TV now, there's words that you know you couldn't, like, you couldn't even come close to getting away with. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> and a lot of that came out of that culture, right? In those rooms that we were in, and so I think for for us or for myself, there's a certain expectation that like this is what music is supposed to mean or what nightlife is supposed to mean to us. 
And, you know, I recognize that's uh, unrealistic because the world changes and, and, you know, this generation has different needs and priorities. Um, and I think, you know, we had Oliver Wang on the show and he kind of said, you know, I get it. Like, they're just not making music for me. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's for somebody else. So I can't really judge it against my standards. But th- the problem with that, though, is that, like, you know, it's also means that it's sort of not that music then is not using its potential power to educate and uplift and, and transform people. Right. I mean, I, I learned just as much from listening to hip hop as I did in school. Mm -hmm. I could say in, in certain ways. Sure. I learned so much about other cultures Mm -hmm. just from listening to the music. Yeah. I mean, there was just a different, there were different reasons why they were making the music. It was fun. It was, you know, educational. There are all kinds of ways that artists were expressing themselves in intellectual ways, even though people may have a different opinion. It's really, you know, creative music that you could learn so much from. You could learn about where, you know, different cities, even just within New York. Mm-hmm. If you've never been to New York and you just listen to hip hop, you could kind of start to figure out what the different boroughs are like or the down south or Chicago or Miami or whatever. Now, you know, even though hip hop still has specific sounds based on regions, the reasons I, my opinion is for the most part, the music that you hear in clubs isn't made for the love of hip hop. Typically, I think it's made for a lot of other reasons. And Mm -hmm. I think the people and people go out for a lot of other reasons. You know, I, I've been behind the turntables for a really long time and I've seen it go through a lot of changes. Yeah. And I could have continued going in the direction that I was going, you know, and continued doing big parties that want to hear the same old thing. Mm-hmm. But I had to make a decision at a certain point. There came a point where I where I said to myself, every time I DJ one of these parties, I feel like I'm disrespecting every party that I did back in the day that was coming from a real place. Mm-hmm. The people that were there, the music, mm-hmm. what I was doing, it was, um, you know, it was an art form. Sure. It's not that anymore. And so I would try my best to to kind of hold on to the art form part of DJing. And, you know, people don't give a fuck. Right. Right. They don't give a fuck at all. They're just like, they don't even, you know, they don't even, they can't even comprehend that something is happening back there other than whatever they want to hear next a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, because of what DJs, you know, typically are meant to do is sometimes you play an instrumental and you play an acapella over it and you create what people Mm -hmm. refer to as a mashup and I mean it's not it's not brain surgery but it's an art form and Mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of skill Mm -hmm. and people don't even you know it's just the little things like that but people may not recognize that takes the kind of fun out of it for guys like me wordplay going from one song that says one thing into another song that's playing off the words out of that song uh, playing an original song that a hip hop song sampled mm-hmm. from the original, t- you know, just right. little things like that. Yeah, 
made it so much fun for all mm-hmm. the DJs back in the day because people would be like, oh shit, that's dope. And now it feels like most people are just waiting for whatever mm-hmm, yeah. the next song is. When when you made that commitment to stay to your in your lane, was that risky for you? Because knowing things were moving in another direction. Absolutely. I, I mean, it's re- I mean, you know, it's a money thing, really. Right. Right. You have to just make that decision. What are you doing it for? If you're trying to be one of those guys, you have to do what those guys are. I mean, not, you know, don't have to do what those guys are doing, but it's it's. I feel like the bigger the DJ, the less creativity there is these days. Mm. Mm. It's just more about like playing a string of songs right. that. Have you seen any surprises? Any exceptions to that? No. no. I mean, it's just the older guys. Yeah. You know, it really is. It, it's experience. Mm-hmm. It's tough for a young guy to really stand out now because to make that decision to play some shit that's different doesn't always work out for guys, and it's because it's a w- crazy industry based on fear mm-hmm. in a what lot of mean? ways. Well, the the owner is afraid of having a party or a table in there that isn't going to be pulling the numbers that they pull on a, on a nightly basis mm-hmm. typically. So he'll hire the guys that pull the people that may not be the most, you know, creative types mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. world. <laughs> and then, you know, the promoters are afraid of losing their jobs. Right. So they bring in the guys that they know are going to spend the most money that are typically, you know, the same old guys. And then the DJs are afraid to lo- of losing their job if they don't play the shit that right. everybody wants to hear because there's somebody else out there that'll do it for free. Mm-hmm. The other day, somebody called me uh, to do a premiere party for a huge movie, mm-hmm. and you know he said, "Well, the cast is paying for the DJ." I said, "Okay, what do you got?" And it was like two hundred dollars. And I was like, okay, well, if does that mean they're all pitching in like twenty dollars? <laughs> right. And I said, how can I don't I can't even comprehend what you just said to me. Yeah. I mean, it's a huge movie, and you know, back in the day, something like that would probably pull between five and ten grand, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. And well, his excuse was not excuse, but his reasoning was, well, which is true. A guy will do it for nothing to be able to say on his resume, I did this party. Yeah. Right. For, I did the whatever premiere party. Yeah. And so the DJs, you know, back to what I was saying before, the DJs are afraid of losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. So they just fall in line yeah. and they play the same old shit. So it's hard for a young guy, unless you're at the dime. Right. You're at some place that there's no pressure. And it's just a bar and they're not worried about bottles and mm-hmm. they're just having fun and they're right. going to make, there's two bartenders and the capacity is 150 right. and they right. can pretty much tell what they're going to make every yeah. night of the week and it yeah. is what it is. Were you, um, was there ever a time when you would have taken that job for, yep. for free? I've done a million f- free jobs. I work for the president and, and, and I do it for free. But that's not what I, well, <laughs> okay. I want to talk about that, but, but that's, I, uh, Back in the day, there was only so many DJs. Right. You know what I mean? There yeah. wasn't another guy that was going to do it for, you know, they hired DJs for different reasons back then. Mm-hmm. 
they hired guys that they knew were going to do the job that they needed, which was rock the fucking party. So back in the day, there's only five guys in L.A. Right. That could really, really do it. Mm -hmm. Is that an L.A. thing? Or anywhere, probably. Back in the day, I mean, New York was probably a little different, but I know because I'm from L.A. that for the types of parties that I was doing back in the day, there's really five to ten people that could handle those kinds of parties, you know, the big premiere parties. Right. Right. You know, Prince's house or Michael Jackson or Stevie Wonder's birthday or, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's only so many guys that can do that. So, like, right. would I, you know, there were parties like that that I would do for free or cheap. Sure. Um, because I wanted them to have a good party. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about my resume, even right. though it was a dope party to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I... I'm trying to remember like you know I, I know I've done a lot of parties over the years for nothing and it was yeah. it was really just because I wanted to be a part of the party and a lot of times you know I'm I'm happy to work with people that don't have any money so I'll just tax the next guy that does you know what I mean like sure. I've done yeah. plenty of parties like if somebody if I know somebody and they're like dude it's my birthday I just don't have any money man like <laughs> I want you to do it though yeah. I know where they're coming from yeah. and I'll do it but if somebody's like you know it's the premiere party for whoop de whoop yeah. We don't have any money. Yeah. Motherfucker, you got money. Yeah, you guys spend. <laughs> I know you got money. Sure. Talking about. Yeah, you guys spend fifty grand on catering. Somebody has. Yeah. yeah right. it comes Just full don't don't order the you know the ham. <laughs> right. And give me whatever you were gonna pay for the ham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's funny. Uh, well, yeah. So so we go back. Uh, probably the highlight of my short club promoting career. Um was a party we did together in 97 i think called dirt mm-hmm. um <laughs> which was a you know i talk about it sometimes because like such great lessons came out of that uh first of all you know this party there were seven promoters that all got together who were they so paul stewart mm-hmm. i think th- i think it's i think paul and mike karen kind of came up with the idea mm-hmm. and then Brian Austin Green mm-hmm. from who was mm-hmm. who was on who I did green light with right yeah so it was the green light crew right mm-hmm. so Shane uh Shane uh Brian Heather Hunter mm-hmm. John Stockton mm-hmm. who was at Def Jam so it was a lot of label people and some entertainers it was the first party i can remember that was a mix of like yeah party promoters and record yeah. Industry people and a porn star. Right. Yeah, she helped a lot. Yeah. Heather Hunter. Did she really? I don't know anything uh, about porn. Old school. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a really interesting group of people. Mm-hmm. And we had really poor organizational skills at the time. So it was like, we en- we ended up doing a thing where it's like, you know, if you, like, if you don't show up, you don't get paid. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, people would like, promote and get their friends to come i mean no one was out like handing out flyers really it was more about just like your network hit your network and there were seven of us so between everyone mm-hmm. you could get you could fill the room right but then so you'd invite a bunch of people and then people wouldn't show up and then people like so it's like guests came to see yeah. you because you invited <laughs> them you show up at one thirty. yeah so we had to do a thing like there's an envelope with your name like you got to come pick it up right. otherwise it gets split up. So there's like some fun stuff like that. Um, 
and then you you were the DJ, uh, and then we brought in guest DJs, <laughs> and you know so it became really quickly the hottest night I think in the city. It was Tuesday night, which is a slow night. We did that on purpose, uh, and you know and because of all the label connections, we were able to get you know EPMD, Rakim, uh, uh, Cypress Hill. There's a there's one flyer I have somewhere that shows uh destiny's child but it, we we misspelled it because they were this is like you know destiny's child is beyonce yes so i know they, that <laughs> all right just checking <clears throat> so but we called it destiny's children because we didn't even know this is like their first oh my god that it was, was their first show yeah and it was like a handwritten shitty flyer and you know and and the room you know it was crazy and we were and then um you know Janet Jackson was showing up. Shaq was showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we made it no guest list, so each of the promoters got a handful of wristbands you could hand out in person. And after that, everybody had to pay because you know in LA everyone's a VIP. Guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Shaq would show up with fifty people. Oh, it's not true. And we'd just be like, okay, you got to pay, and and he yeah. see somebody else important paying, and then it was like no big deal. And so you know it was completely off the hook, and then. I think we everyone got lazy pretty fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is happening over a couple of weeks. <laughs> like the party only ran six months because by month four, it was like off the chain. And then we had a gang fight mm-hmm. out in the middle of sunset and the sheriffs came and shut the street down. And uh, because we kind of stopped, everyone sort of stopped working to really promote and bring good people out. And then other people came that, you know, wasn't the crowd we wanted because they heard about it and then it was over the week after that and um so it was great lessons for me about sort of tending to your brand Mm -hmm. and really you know getting your organization tight and all that stuff but you know i bring it up because the other thing that stood out to me is we we brought you know amazing mostly new york djs as our guests clark kent i remember that uh yeah clark kent was a big one flex do you remember what happened with clark kent no Okay. But he was talking shit or somebody was talking shit. He was shit. talking shit about yeah. me. So and 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 Adam, like we we brought some of the biggest DJs in the world at the time, mm-hmm. mostly New York guys, to be the headliners. And and you were the opener and without exception, you made them all look bad. Thanks. Um no, I mean it's totally true and 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 you know, I don't I don't need to gas you up, but like you <laughs> killed it. And these guys would come up and they would, you know, and some of it was like, I think they, I'm kind of putting words in their mouth, but I think they kind of took it for granted that they were who they were and they could come and people were excited that people paid to come see them mm-hmm. and, and they didn't have to really work too hard. I don't know these guys, you know, I don't know how skillful some of them are if they really went to work, but I don't think they did. And, and, you know, and you showed the difference and I think the crowd could feel the difference. I knew we could feel the difference. And so what happened? I think um I think you got it right where they took it for granted, you know. I think a lot of the guys had a different persp- you know, it was different back then because it was, you know, people in New York didn't know so much about LA as much as people in LA could kind of figure out what New York was like just sure. based on the music, mm-hmm. really. So I think a lot of times the guys would come here with different expectations 
of parties mm -hmm. and not really, you know, I think they were just bringing like the typical East Coast set. Right. Because back then you had to bring records. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you could only bring like a crate or two. Oh man, that's crazy. You know what I mean? So like you really had to, you know, a lot of times back in those days, guys that were working a lot wouldn't spend a lot of time adjusting their crates. They would kind of go, well, this is a dope crate and it'll always mm -hmm. be dope because it's got children's story and I got it made and audio too and the same old New York mm -hmm. old school set. And then, you know, a little bit of new stuff, but you know, nothing. Cause I think you could pretty much go anywhere in the country or in the world and get away with those sure. two crates. Yeah. Once upon a time not long ago When people wore pajamas and lived life slow Well laws were stern and justice stood And people were behaving like they ought to good There lived a little boy who was misled By another little boy and this is what he said Me and you tonight we're gonna make some cash Robbing old folks and making the dash They did the job, money came with ease But one couldn't stop, it's like he had a disease He robbed another Stick and another Stick and my sister and a brother Tried to rob a man who was a DT undercover The cop grabbed his arm, he started acting erratic and when you are traveling a lot as a DJ and working every night in New York or whatever, as these guys were probably doing six or seven nights a week, you get tired and, you know, to like, you know, I, I made sure that every time I DJ and I still to this day do that I work, I put some work in, I figure mm -hmm. out where I'm going and what it is and figuring out a custom set for that night as much as possible at least. Mm -hmm. But I yeah. think, I think what was happening at least then was I was working really hard every night at putting together sets mm -hmm. and finding new music. And back then it was difficult to find new music. You can't just go, go on the internet. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You had to like go to the Double. record store yeah. and buy a bunch of shit and you know, cross your fingers, and hope that you got dope shit and, yeah. and go through all the records that the labels were giving. You know, we'd get hundreds of records you know, mm -hmm. every week or two from mm -hmm. the labels. You have to go through them all and figure your shit out. And I think, I, no disrespect to any of those DJs because to this day they're still the guys that are really doing it. Mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, a lot of those guys like they stand, they still stand apart because they understand DJing from a different time, mm -hmm. what it means to create mm -hmm. an experience, not just to play a bunch of songs. But I think what was happening back then was they were taking LA for granted and not really. They didn't really understand that we were on it like they were as far as like what was going on in music. Yeah. I was. I was just, you know, doing my thing, really. I I was just prepared to make the room happen because I knew what it took to make that room happen. It was all kinds of different types of people. Mm -hmm. White, you know, the mm -hmm. white people, black people, hip-hop people, people maybe not so much into hip-hop. Mm -hmm. You know, you had to, like, figure out a way to make the whole room happy. And yeah. I think what was happening with a lot of those guys from that were coming in from New York was... I think that they just weren't prepared. I, th I think it's really that simple. Yeah. But I, 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 I bet that the next time they came back was different. I know a lot of the guys came back to LA, maybe not that party, mm -hmm. but then, you know, the next few times I DJed with those dudes, I think that they learned a lesson. It wasn't just that party. It wasn't right, just right, me. Sure. It was yeah. other guys and other places. And I think they were just, you know, it taught a lot of guys a lesson like shit, you know, those sets that you could do in New York, in any spot and be whoever from New York and do you know, people just expected mm -hmm. you to do, you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that and do your thing. And <clears throat> next time they came back to LA, I bet you that, that most of them were prepared. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't just do the same old whoop-de-whoop -whoop right. set mm -hmm. that they were 
accustomed to doing. Yeah. What What's the DJ culture like now? You know, like DJs are super famous, making crazy amounts of money, and they're producers. Yeah. They're producers. Yeah. I don't think they're DJs anymore. I don't know. I I don't know what it's like. You know, I just I can only. I can only you know, kind of, base my reference off what I see online. And mm-hmm. I don't know the D. De- I don't know if it's it's hard to call it a culture, for me. You know, we come from a time when it actually was a culture. I hate to keep sounding like that old guy, <laughs> <laughs> which I am. Sure. But because I have experience and I've been around so long, I feel like I can address things like that from a point of view that means something not mm-hmm. just like an old guy going music sucks now but mm-hmm. that you know I think when I go out it's a culture thing you know it's it's a it's there were certain things that brought us all together back then mm-hmm. clothes music ideas graffiti breakdancing you know whatever you want to call it <laughs> there was a common bond that was coming from a, an honest place and a real place that brought us all together. And w- what I see now is that everyone's being brought together by things, and at least in my opinion, that aren't so real. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, I can only say what I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I see, I listen to the music and no one's saying anything. Right. It's all degrading women and is there popping bottles you, and you check for now that's new i mean not a lot you know i was thinking about it this morning i was listening <clears throat> somebody wrote an article online <clears throat> excuse me about this new dj or producer and this style of music and it's blowing up and he's got this many hits on soundcloud and so i went and listened to it and i realized you know when I think about music and what it meant to me growing up, I connected with it mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. I connected with the lyrics. I connected with the music. It made me sit, you know, when I was sad, I could turn to certain things. When I was melancholy, when I was happy, you know, I had all these things I could go to. Mm-hmm. Not that there isn't substance in music, but as far as a lot of the clubs, the mainstream clubs, it seems like there's a lack of substance overall. And I mean, from the DJs, what they're doing, there's Mm -hmm. absolutely no rhyme nor reason behind why they're playing what each song in the order that they're playing them in other than they're a hit. Mm -hmm. And what's even more interesting than that is over the years, it's crazy. Like I went out the other night and songs you know, they used to make extended remixes mm-hmm. back in the day or just remixes. Yeah. You know, but a, a lot of the music back in the day got longer. Right. And then there came a time when digital like um, music services for DJs online would create edits mm-hmm. for DJs. Suddenly you had all these songs that, you know, when you could only play a record and it only had a four bar intro or a one bar intro or an eight bar intro and you were limited to that, suddenly you have these amazing 16 bar intros and outros and they were custom making these songs for DJs to use in order to mix them better, which was amazing. Suddenly you had these songs that you could never really Mm -hmm. mix in. You had to just slam them in when you had records. Mm -hmm. 
now you, everything was, was set up for DJs. And so for a second there, they were getting a little bit longer because they were adding bars at the beginning, bars at the end. Then suddenly it went to two verses and two choruses instead of three. Mm-hmm. And it went to one verse and one chorus and an outro. Mm-hmm. And now it's just the chorus. Right. Yeah. I mean, literally. I went out the other night and I didn't hear one verse, maybe one. It was just choruses. Yeah, that's a lot of the music now. I feel like that's what I hear. I was listening to one in the Uber and I was like, um, I just heard that chorus verse like four times back to back. I was like, can you change the station? It, but it, I find that interesting because what is that saying? I mean, really, what is that saying about the people that are going out? Mm-hmm. What is that saying about the verses? I mean, you sure. put on a biggie verse. And it's all choruses, really. Right. Everything he's saying, you want to sing along to. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the music people are just waiting for the chorus. So they're not saying shit in the verses. Yeah. So they just skip it now. Yeah. Because everybody just wants to like. Yeah, yeah. Get it's it's cr- it's crazy mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you? How do you feel about that? I mean, what's your take on? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't go out that much. I you know. just modern music in general. Like, uh, well. <laughs> well, that kind of goes to, I mean, it's sort of the same answer. Like, you know, I don't find it that impactful on me anymore, which means I don't spend as much time paying attention to it. I mean, mm-hmm. I still listen to music, but, but you know, I have less time to listen and I'm much more likely to listen to old music because it still has meaning for me, both, you know, sentimental meaning as well as you know i think the music itself is more substantive so i'm less driven to like discover new shit you know i kind of force myself a little bit mm-hmm. and what's and i hear you know there's a lot of sounds that i really enjoy right you know uh there's a lot of deep house that's great you know stuff like trap i think is a great example like it sounds great to my ears like the you know the the rhythms and the and the tones are stuff that I'm used to hearing and mm-hmm. that I enjoy. But I rarely ever hear a song that I recognize as a song that I want to hear again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So for me, it's it's just ambient noise. It's great, you know. But it's not like what we're talking about, that connection. And some of that's kind of where I'm at in my life. But, but I think a lot of it's the music, too. So take us back. I, there's a bunch of stuff I want to talk about, but I, I want to know like what was your entry point to this when was the first time you heard hip-hop and like remember that you know that it connected with you my parents used to take me on road trips across the country and we we have a house in maine so every summer from maybe age 10 we would drive across the country, but ultimately wow. we'd always, almost always end up going through New York to get to Maine, other mm-hmm. than going kind of through Canada or something. Yeah. And I remember driving through New York hearing probably I don't, some Run DMC song, Hard Times probably, mm-hmm. and going like, what the f- fuck is that? It really, I mean, yeah. we had K-Day yeah. when I was younger. But, the, you know, the only way you could f- hear new music was on the radio. 
and there wasn't any hip hop stations and they weren't playing hip hop on the radio except on K-Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the only place you could hear it. Hard times spreading just like the flu. Watch out, homeboy, don't let it catch you. hearing i wasn't 10 when i heard it but i mean i was young when i heard run dmc mm-hmm. i think i heard you know obviously rapper's delight or something like that mm-hmm. on the radio but i remember you know the first music that i discovered on my own or i felt like i did was hip-hop and new wave mm-hmm. first music that my parents didn't teach me about right i learned had I, I grew up in a very musical household so i learned about jazz and rock and funk and soul and classical and i mean you name it my parents listened to it nice the first things I really discovered on my own, I discovered on the radio, new wave, really, and um, hip hop. So I remember the first time I heard hip hop, other than I guess Sugar Hill Gang or something like that, or you know, Blondie, rapping. Mm-hmm. It's probably Run DMC driving through New York, and I had a cassette deck, and I was recording off the radio, off the off the car radio. You know, yeah. and this is interesting. Yeah, so. I I I recently realized. The, the day I became a DJ and it was because of those tapes mm. so I got to New York I mean I got to Maine I remember listening to the tape over and over and even though it was a little bit of whatever that Run DMC song was and I think Atomic Dog and like all these things that I had never heard before when I got back to LA I brought I would bring my radio to school mm. and I was a kind of loner I was like a weird kid <laughs> and other, you know, it was, it was probably fifth, like sixth grade when this happened. And I remember bringing my radio to school and playing a tape at like lunch or something. And all the little kids, like, you know, all the kids came over, like jumping around dancing and shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's cool. You know, like I'm contributing something to these people having fun for a minute. This is dope. Right. I probably didn't know that word back then, <laughs> but like I was like, I right. felt part like I was part of something, yeah. even in the smallest way right. possible. And so I kept doing it. I would started recording off of K Day or something, whatever mm-hmm. the radio, and I bring my little tape recorder to school and I play these tapes. <laughs> and it was, I guess, you could call them pause tapes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just record a song and stop it and yeah, wait yeah. the next one. And I kind of learned how to do that in my own little way. And I bring bring them to school. And I think it was the feeling I was getting from all these little kids coming and jumping around and dancing, listening right. to what I was playing. I was like, it wasn't at that moment that I was like, I'm going to be a DJ. But mm-hmm. I do, I do. It definitely has something to do with why I became a DJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cut to 12th grade, 11th grade or 12th grade. My buddy Travis mm-hmm. Andres, you know, Travis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. We went to high school together. Um, he had two turntables. And uh, some little Radio Shack mixer in his closet. And we put it together. And I brought some records over. And we were playing them. And that was it. Mm-hmm. I like went to my grandfather. And I said, you know, if, if you buy me 
two turntables and a mixer and an amp and some speakers. Mm -hmm. I'll pay you back. And he did. And next thing you know, I'm DJing like every party in the valley. Sure. All of them. So, you know, there's only three dudes back then. This kid, mm -hmm. Danny Fazer, DJ, he's kind of still around. This kid, the guy I learned from, which is his name was DJ, I think, Good Bar or something. But like, I just started buying records. Yeah. And I just started DJing everything. I mean, it was free. It was like, you know, 50 bucks. Mm -hmm which I'd give to my boy who had a station wagon. Mm -hmm. And I gave him like 20 bucks. I'd yeah. give 20 bucks and we'd eat. Yeah. And I just, but the most important thing at that time was those parties, the first party I ever DJ, I met Justin Warfield at. Oh, funny. Who became later on in life my band mate. Yeah. My band. Oh, yeah. The, the most important thing about how my DJ career developed was that particular time in music and in parties in the valley you had punk rock guys who would want to break my shit or kick my ass if I didn't play suicidal tendencies or something mm -hmm. so I had to learn about punk rock or else I'd get fucked up mm -hmm. sometimes I try to do things and it just doesn't work out the way I want it to and I get real frustrated like, I try hard to do it, and I take my time, but it just doesn't work out the way I want it to. It's like I concentrate on real hard, but it just doesn't work out. And everything I do and everything I try, it never turns out. It's like I need time to figure these things out. There's always someone there going, hey Mike, you don't even notice that you even have a lot of problems. And there'd be breakdance kids who'd just be standing around waiting for whatever <laughs> yeah, hip-hop like, song. Then there'd be new wave girls right. or, and or guys. There'd be skaters, Justin Warfield, who were kind of into punk rock and hip hop and new wave, really mm -hmm. whatever. So you had all these different groups of people. So I had to learn very quickly how to make them all happy within the context of like two hours or three hours or however, however long the party lasted until the cops came. Yeah. So it was very important for me to learn. I learned how to read a room really mm -hmm. off the bat. I learned how to make a room full of people happy because I didn't want... I wanted to hook up with a girl. So, you know, <laughs> I knew about Depeche Mode and The Cure sure. and shit like that. Yeah. I wanted to make the break dancers happy. So I had to learn about craft work and Egyptian lover, you know, and kind of LA electro hip hop type mm -hmm. shit and, and hip hop. Skaters wanted to hear hip hop. Um, so, I, I mean, I was going to the record store and just buying, you just had to buy shit yeah. based on the cover, really. Mm hmm. Oh, this looks cool. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you wouldn't. But, like, I think that had a lot to do with my career in general because I learned early on that it's not just about me at all. I think that's a mistake that a lot of DJs make is it's... Mm. They make it about themselves and their little group of dudes or, like, the table that's next to them spending all the money rather than the room. It's about the party. Mm -hmm. I mean, not so much now, but at least when I was coming up, it was. But it could be. It could be. I mean, look, there are parties out there. I'm not saying every party sucks. Well, let's talk about your parties, right? You, so you do two parties now, three? I do, um, at the moment, I, I do one. I just stopped doing one. I do one now. I have another one coming up and then another one after that. So at, at the okay, moment... let's I'm, promote those real quick. So. Uh, one's called Giorgio's, which is a Saturday night party that's 
classic disco only. Okay. A little bit of early 80s, but I basically based the music off if they played it at Studio 54 when it was open Mm -hmm. at any time within the life of Studio 54. Right. um, Then I play it. And um, we don't allow photographs. And you can't buy your way in. And it's all the criteria to get in is basically if you can add something in your own way that creates a beautiful experience within the room, you can come. Right. And, and you have to look, my partner would say chic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So people dress up. So you're not, you're not doing Apex. Um, it's off for a minute, but it's coming back soon. I do a club called Apex, which is really Effects. Effects. But everybody okay. says Apex, so I even call it Apex now. <laughs> which started back then. Yeah. Started in like the mid nineties. Oh really? At Carlos and Charlie's. Oh, I don't know. So this party that I do, um it's amazing. It really we just celebrated our two year anniversary. Giorgio's is named after Giorgio Moroder, who's like my all time my all time favorite producer of all time. He came and DJ'd with me at the two year anniversary, which yeah. is insane. Every week, it's it's filled with the most amazing people. I mean, black, white, straight, gay, rich, poor. There's, you know, we 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 just want it to be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you get everyone from like, like I said, Mick Jagger, Mick Fleetwood, to like Puff, those you know, mm-hmm. uh, Russell Simmons. Those guys come. Faith, you know, like kind of old old R and B people, and then Miguel. Like you know, we get like all nice. different types of artists and then you know it's all fashion people it's all photographers like david la chapelle comes every week like jj J. abrams like you know yeah. there's there's like dope people in that room and it's one of the only parties in a long time where everybody's smiling mm-hmm. everybody's dancing people are going there to do the things that in my opinion you're supposed to do when you go out dance have fun drink if you want to flirt mm-hmm. you know connect Whatever it is, it and it's you know it's and disc disco has a is a is an amazing genre of music because it encompasses a lot of different things within it, but it makes everybody feel really beautiful. It does. It's real music. There's not a lot of electronics until you get really get into the early '80s stuff and mm-hmm. lush strings and what they're talking about and it's all love and mm-hmm. sex and just creates this vibe in the room that everybody just enjoys so much that they keep coming back mm-hmm. and I think yeah. from my perspective at least that's a lot of that is missing from a lot of the other parties there's nothing sexy about a lot of the parties I go to at sure. all I mean yeah. just leave it at that um, well here's what I love about that is is you know it's not hard to find DJs complain about 
you know, the way shit is today or whatever, right? But, you know, most of them don't do anything about it. And so, you know, you created your own events and you do it the way that you think people are going to enjoy. And, you know, look, <clears throat> I get, you know, a DJ, uh, you're in the service business, right? You are, you're there to, you know, at the pleasure of your, your guests, right? But there's also the, the thinking that people don't necessarily know what they're going to enjoy, right? You know, I don't want to hire a DJ and tell him what to play, right? Because I'm, I want to hire somebody who knows what to play. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't like it, then I'm probably not going to hire him again or mm -hmm. I'm not going to go back to that club or, mm -hmm. or whatever, right? But, um, but you're sort of, you know, taking that leadership role to say, look, I understand... Like, I'm going to, you know, trust me, and we'll all have a good time. I think that's so important <clears throat> that, because um, I think ultimately that is what people want, mm -hmm. whether they know it or not. Yeah. You know, uh, DJs are complaining all the time, especially the older guys. Yeah. And I tell them all the same thing. Like, you could, if you just create your own thing. Mm-hmm. You're gonna get the same money. No one's paying you anyways. Right. You know, you're only making a couple hundred bucks at some of these huge events. Right. Why not just do your own thing? Yeah. You're still gonna make two hundred bucks from the bar. Right. Yeah. But you're gonna have fun and your friends are gonna come. It, you can be proud of the thing you're doing and invite your friends rather yeah. than I mean, you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. it's important and a lot you know, I I think about the underground what we refer to as the underground, I feel like it still exists mm -hmm. and you have, but you have to make it, you have to create yeah. it in any way. It could be any genre of music. I just, the things that have worked best for me in my career, as far as the things that I've personally done, as far as parties are concerned, are when they're pretty specific of a thing. And the, th the thing that I've learned from Los Angeles over my career as a DJ is when you offer people something that doesn't exist, within the context of nightlife, th it, it'll be successful if you do it right. Mm -hmm. So if, when I started doing effects, when I brought it back, no one was doing old school hip hop. Or they were just, and when they were, it was like a, the jock jams of old mm -hmm. school hip hop, ironic kind of way, where right. you'd go hear Humpty Dance, right. and It Takes Two, and you know, bar jam hip hop, mm -hmm. kind of mm -hmm. weekend stuff. So. When I started doing that, and it was just what it was, uh, you know, it's Wu-Tang and Mob Deep and the shit that we want to hear, mm -hmm. people were, f I mean, it was slammed every week. Yeah. But, you know, that wouldn't exist had I not done it. And so, you know, the, the, the message is to a lot of these DJs and even younger guys, you have to take a stance at some point. You either become one of those other guys that just yeah. gets stuck in the same old thing, battling for the same job at every place, only getting paid peanuts. You can get the same amount of money if you just do your thing, mm -hmm. come up with some concept and make it happen, and you'll be having fun. And you're actually adding to the nightlife of whatever particular city you're in by yeah. offering something that's not the same old shit. So as, as I hear these stories, I mean, what stands out to me is that y you're, you have a career of taking big chances. And I think even, you know, let's talk about She Wants Revenge a little bit because, you know, that happened 
sort of at a time, you know, rock and hip hop had this, they kind of came, came together, you know, at a certain point in late nineties. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, mostly in the form of, of Lincoln park, of mm -hmm. Limp Bizkit, mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was the, the jock jams, mm -hmm. like you said, version of, of both of those genres mm -hmm. coming together. And, uh, but you went in a very different direction. That was an, it was an accident really. Justin Warfield, who was a rapper, you know, we both have a hip hop background. Mm -hmm. He was a rapper. He put out um, a record in the early 90s that to this day, when we bump into people like Q-Tip or Questlove mm -hmm. or, you know, some of the guys that we really look up to in the hip hop world, the most deafs of the world. Yeah. They're like, yo, that's you? Like, <laughs> that was you? Yeah. Yo, that record because his first record he was referencing things that people weren't referencing not yeah. a lot of people at least Stand up, I'm 11 and I'm almost six feet 18 years old rock a new beat got no nickname stay the cool same kick the same rhymes play the same game still watch my back but ain't no vix here bring in the new that too was last year intro the baby brother coming from the mind school flow from blue big and papers wide rule if i had a penny for every note that i played or if i had a dollar for every thought i create i guess that i would reckon by golly i'm getting paid or better yet i reckon it's time to be getting paid so i sit and think well, should I yeah, it was kind of alternative hip -hop. it was alternative he was talking about like literature yeah. and a lot of like liter literary references and movie references and you know things that people weren't really talking about and he was sampling like some crazy shit so it was a very um special record even though it wasn't commercially successful mm -hmm. it was critically acclaimed from the people whose opinions we most respected mm -hmm. um or admired so anyway we grew up together and then cut to um my buddy kenna mm -hmm. which is an artist um was working on his second record justin and i came together to do hip-hop and so we started making beats with the idea of slanging them. Mm. So we started making all these hip hop beats and um, then I was like, yo, you should just rhyme. You should be rhyming again. So he started rhyming again. But the idea by, behind what we were doing, we were called Spits, I think. It was all about popping bottles and models and bullshit, right. but it was a complete joke yeah. because if you really read between the lines in a, in a in a really clever way we were talking shit about it all mm -hmm. but just if you really just listen to the hook and the song you'd think it was just another song about like fucking in the bathroom and popping a ball of champagne or whatever so we made it like an ep we went to new york we met with a major label and they offered us a deal and we came back to la and we decided we kind of were seeing what was happening in hip hop at that time. It was 2005, I think, mm -hmm. 2006. I, I think we just decided we don't want to be part of it at that point. It, it was changing in a way that we weren't really, I think, into. Yeah. So let's hold off on doing this for a minute and <clears throat> let's just keep making beats. And then my buddy Ken asked me to make him a beat. I made him this beat that didn't sound like anything that Justin and I were doing. It was He wanted something a little different. So I played it for Justin, and Justin was like, yo, don't give it to Kenna. Let me sing on it real quick. It's dope. Yeah. So he sang, he played some guitar on it, and he brought it back. It's a really complex story, but I'll give you the short version of it. Anyway, 
I heard what he did and I was like, that's the shit. Like, let's do another one. Mm-hmm. And then we did another one, then we did another one. And we soon we had six songs. And it was a, you know, there's hip hop in it. People, when they listen to it, they reference it. They go, oh, it sounds like Joy Division. It sounds like, you know, Depeche Mode. And I mean, it does because those, Mm-hmm. Maybe not Joy Division, but Depeche is a huge part of who I am right. and who he is, and so is The Cure, so is New Order. So there's bits and pieces of that in there just because it's informed us over the years of who we are musically. But there's Prince in there, mm-hmm. there's Tribe, there's Kraftwerk, there's Giorgio Moroder, all these other things. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just sped up. If you slow every one of our songs down, they're all hip hop beats. Maybe it's right at the right place and right time Maybe tonight in a whisper or handshake Sending a sign, wanna make out and kiss hard Wait, never mind, late night in passing Mention it flipped to her best friend It's no thing, maybe a slip But the slip turns to terror and a crush to like Then she walked in, he froze up, leave it to fright It's cute in a way till you cannot speak And you leave to have a cigarette and these get weak definitely hip-hop in there and if you listen to the way he's singing it's just he's delivering the lyrics as an MC would he's just adding melody to it and mm-hmm. a little bit more of a, like a monotone baritone vocal that makes it sound dark mm-hmm. so I had these six songs and we met with our buddy Baltazar Getty um, who at the time was in a band called Ringside who was signed to Fred Durst mm. and he's like yo and he was the only one that had our music other than us. We didn't play it for anybody. But we gave it to Balt. And Balt said, yeah, I play it for Fred Durst. He, like, wants to meet you guys. And we were like, man, fuck that dude. <laughs> <laughs> he's whack. Yeah. We do not want to meet with him. And Balt, Balt was like, yo, he's cool. He's cool. He's not what you think he is. And so Balt was like, look, whether you like the guy or not, between Limp Bizkit, Stain, Puddle of Mud, everything else he sold millions and millions of records there's mm-hmm. something there he's sure. smart you gotta talk to him so we went and met with him long story short we met with him we figured out he was actually cooler than we thought he was he got it in a way no one to this day got our music he pulled out references that no one's ever pulled out mm. and so we signed with him and it was just one of those things where it we didn't do it for any other reason than we loved what we were doing mm-hmm. It was the most honest place you could ever imagine the music that we were making. Yeah. I was trying to impress him and he was trying to impress me. Right. And we were trying to like outdo each other within, you know, by making each other happy mm-hmm. while also expressing ourselves as artists mm-hmm. by just creating tones and lyrics that were honest, talking about things that we want to talk about, which was love or lack of. Right. And sex. Mm-hmm. 
and drugs, even though he was sober at the time. Right. You know, we just were doing some shit that we wanted to do, and it just translated. I think when people started hearing it, they were like, I can relate. It makes me want to fuck, or it makes me want to dance, or it makes me want to cry. I mean, these are things we hear from people mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so I guess you could say it was taking a chance by not, you know, label people would come in and be like, yeah, you need to like, we'd hear words like single and we'd hear words like buzz and like, right. we'd hear, you know, label things. Yeah. And we told Fred, like, we never want another label person in here ever. We will. I mean, we told him that when we signed with them, we don't want an A&R. We don't want, you can come in once or twice and give us notes, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Just let it, let us do a record, dude. And he mm-hmm. was like, cool. That's also taking a chance yeah. within the structure of Interscope. And Gaffin, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. they were like, "You need to do this. You need to do that." We don't need to do shit, but make this record, dude. Like, you need to figure out how to market us because you have no fucking idea, which they never did. Right. Because we didn't fit in anywhere. Sure. Alternative radio was ending. But that's why but, I say that's bold because you know, look how many guys are going to say that to a label that's writing you a check and offering you, you know, a fame, right? To say. Hey, you know what? Let's do business, but also fuck off. <laughs> well, we were fortunate that Fred was the at at the moment he signed us, he still had a ton of pull. Sure. At Geffen. Yeah, but you had it. You had us kind of set that boundary mm-hmm. with him. Yeah. Sure. Like, well, he, most he went, of the guys he was signing were not saying that shit to him. They were no, like, "Yes, but, sir." But he got you it. Know. You know, he. I think he was. He he understood what we were. He understood what we were doing, mm-hmm. and so he respected yeah. it. And he was cool enough to understand that, like, because he, he saw both sides of it. Mm-hmm. He knows what it is to be an artist. He also knows what it is to work at a label. Mm-hmm. So as an artist, he's like, I want these guys just to do their thing. Yeah. And I will probably get the best results if I let them. Right. And he did. He took a chance. Sure. And, and let us do our thing. And that's what, that's what I find interesting because, you know, again, like, the other DJs, you know, C-minus was working with Korn. Mm-hmm. You know, AM was, was doing his thing. Crazy Town. Crazy Town. Um, which I was originally in. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> I w- it was called Brimstone Sluggers. Oh, wow. And then it became Crazy Town. Okay. W- once I realized everybody was doing some um, illegal things, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. People were doing some shit. Not- people were doing some shit. <laughs> I wasn't. You I was so naive. One. I was like, yeah. why does everybody keep going to the bathroom every 10 minutes? What's going on here? <laughs> Anyways, sure. Yeah, but like, so it would have been easy. Like DJs that you knew and mm-hmm. respected probably uh, were kind of going down a certain path, mm-hmm. right? That 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 was a lane mm-hmm. for DJs to play, and you know, and you decided to go the other way. I was DJing for Christina back mm-hmm. then, Aguilera. I was in her band. How's that happen? Her band. Yeah. Wow. During I was on the Genie in a Bottle tour. Um, how, how does that happen? Yeah, how did you process that? <laughs> like, I mean, my buddy um, called me and said, Christina needs a DJ to play within, you know, in some of the songs. And then she does some costume changes, so she needs somebody to keep the crowd entertained. Um, and she heard you play something, and she inquired mm-hmm. about it would you want to do it? I I was like, Hmm, a shit ton of money to travel all over the world, you know, and, and hot girl, (laughs) um, stay in, you know, 
some of the most beautiful hotels and travel mm-hmm. first class and sure. you know what I mean? Like I got this is you know two thousand and one. Yeah, I was like, fuck yeah, I do. W- were you ever <laughs> nervous about the brand being misinterpreted? Me, like your brand. I didn't yeah. give a, I, you didn't care. I, there was no real brand. There were no worries about it back mm-hmm. then. It was just like, do your thing, and get paid, mm-hmm. and don't make any. I didn't think I never looked at anything as a mistake. Yeah. But right. a lot of those dudes, you know, I got kind of blackballed from the underground world in the late 90s, early 2000s, late yeah. 90s, yeah, around that time, people were like, that dude's a sellout. All those dudes that now are st- doing the parties that they were coming down on back sure. then, mm-hmm. they're like, fuck that dude. Like, he's he's, he's a sellout <laughs> doing jiggy thing, like mm-hmm. Century Club, when I was doing Century Club mm-hmm. and Dirt and like, yeah, you know, f- why the fuck would I want to keep doing the same old party, getting no money? Yeah, Not no. that it's all about the money, but like at a certain point, I made the decision to become a DJ, right. and I have to pay my bills. Right. Would you do it now? Christina? Like, not, not Christina, but like would you do it now for an artist like Christina today, like Selena Gomez? Mm, no. Why? I'm just at a different point in my life. I think it was a lot easier for me to do at that age mm-hmm. and that time in my life to be able to just say, fuck it. I'm just yeah. going to go on this tour and have fun. Now I'd really have to enjoy whoever the artist was for me to give up what I'm doing on a right. daily basis to like spend time sure. helping someone else's brand. Really? Right. I guess you, you can, you know, if you get them to tweet about you, I guess you're helping your own <laughs> brand. But like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, is, is it, um, so did, did, did somebody call you a shout out to your face? A lot, all those dudes. Yeah. All, I mean, I, you know them all. All the underground mm-hmm. battle hip-hop dudes. Right. You know. So how does that... I, you, <laughs> yeah, they, like, they all did. Okay. Well, look, I, you know, it's nice. Uh, I don't know. You know, I'd rather hear it directly than behind my back. I, heard, I mean, I heard it. Sure. Straight out of their mouths, but right. I, I heard it a lot yeah, yeah, from you know word of mouth. That's and, not surprising. Yeah. But so, how did that feel then? Mm-hmm. Like, so you you told us kind of how you feel about it now. But how did that feel at that moment? It, it sucked because I mean, the truth is, it'd be very easy for me to say I didn't give a fuck. I was just doing my thing, but mm-hmm. it hurt. Yeah, because yeah. they're all dudes that I want. I never had a crew. Sure. Right. There are all these amazing crews in L.A. Yeah. It still exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're used to rolling solo. I've always rolled solo, yeah. except my guy with the station wagon. <laughs> we were called the Beat Boys. Yeah, the Beat Boys. <laughs> I, I have, we had business cards. I had nice. little records little and little musical notes on That's them. That's awesome. It's um, a good name. Beat Boys. I never really had a crew, um, but I always wanted to be a part of one of them. And for whatever reason... You know, half of I take half of the responsibility just because I just I kind of always wanted to do things my own way. Mm-hmm. But had somebody invited me into their thing, I would have adjusted. Sure. Right. But I looked up to all those dudes. I always like there were parties that I never got invited to DJ at that were some of the most important parties in the history of hip hop in Los Angeles that, you know, I still get upset about when I think about the good old days. What, what's one? Uh, I don't want to call anybody out, but 
you know, or I caught the end. Like the, the, this is the last one we're doing. You want to come do it, you know, out of right. like pity or something. Right. But, you know, it, it bummed me out. But at the same time, again, I cared more about staying in my lane and doing my thing mm -hmm. than I cared about adjusting to whatever they thought I should be doing. Mm -hmm. Sure. Because I, I wasn't selling out. I was just... Someone comes to me and they said, there's a party in Century City on Sundays. It's a thousand people. Tupac's there. Shaq's there. Jodeci's there. Every mm -hmm. rapper and R&B celeb from New York or wherever that comes in town is there. Mm -hmm. This guy named General Lee is DJing, but we need somebody. He, he's only playing old stuff. We need somebody to come in and play some new shit. Yeah. The fuck am I going to say? No. That's not underground enough for me. You guys are playing Puffy over there? Right. No way. I mean, <clears throat> those all those other dudes yeah. didn't even get asked mm -hmm. because right. they couldn't handle it. Sure. The truth is that like you have to make a decision at a certain point. What's your thing? Mm -hmm. And a lot of those dudes, no disrespect, with, I, and I say this with the utmost respect, they just made that decision to be that guy mm -hmm. who only plays underground hip-hop and only cuts and scratches, and mm -hmm. it limits you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What What would What would feel like selling out to you, or, or what What have you said? I've no done to a couple. I've sold out a few times. <laughs> 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 um, I think it's when you don't trust your instincts, okay. yeah. and you do something that doesn't feel right. That's really what it is. I think. So, what would be something today that you that would you wouldn't do because it would feel like selling? Mm, you know, uh, we want you to be the DJ on this new show on like TV. A TV show. Like yeah. Ellen? That's not, no. You know, yeah. I mean, I have friends that have done Ellen, and I've done, I mean, listen, I was, there was a show called Vibe. Yeah. I was on for one show. Chris, uh. Yeah. Uh huh. No, what was his name? The host? Yeah, Chris. Uh, I forget his name. Comedian. Talk show. Yeah, yeah. I did that. I was on the first show, and then they realized I was white. <laughs> and then they fired me. You know, like... But you're no stranger to being the only white guy in the room. No. Some of these shows, like, you know, that are about, like, mixing, you know, you know I don't know, mix of the... Oh, Master of the Mix yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Yeah. Stuff like that. You know, I've, I've been asked to do some shit like that where the people who are putting it all together, they don't really understand what it is to be a DJ or... You know, when, when they're, when, when I would, if I was to feel exploited like that, mm -hmm. like we want you to come on the show because we can use, you know, you, you, we can use your name and you're affiliated with these things. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a part of anything like that. That feels like selling out when you, when you're doing something, sure. when someone doesn't respect what you're doing and yeah. they're exploiting you, mm -hmm. I don't want to be a part of that. I never did. Even right. though I did it a couple of times in my career, I quickly realized that it doesn't feel good <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and the money that you get from doing it comes and goes yeah. but you have to live with the, the decisions that you make mm -hmm. yeah. but sometimes you gotta learn where that line is right sure yeah so what about now like you, you said you know you DJ for the president mm -hmm. um, you know I'm, I'm curious sort of what that's like but but are you does that do people try to leverage that with you yeah, I mean, people, yeah, definitely, you know, people you, like, 
I mean, no one's booking you expecting he's going to show up. No, 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 no. But, you know, like, it it was more so, like, around the election. Yeah. Sure, because it's more Yeah, the president's DJ, and, you know, people were, you know, right before the election, it was people were using that fact a lot more. Mm -hmm. They were just trying to hype up, you know, whoever was coming to their party. Yeah. It doesn't have, you know, when I travel, like, out of the country. Yeah. People, you, you know, like I won't, there's certain places I won't go I, or I won't allow them to use it because I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Oh, Once you get out of this country, yeah. <laughs> it's, Absolutely. I don't want anything to happen to me right. because they know I'm they affiliated. They think they take you hostage. Or no, something. I mean, uh, the, people have said Feel that. No, I mean, I people have said that to me. Yeah, like Is don't that right? use that name yeah. because wow. it's not as safe. Like, you know, they, they said, send us some photos to, for us to put on the invite. And within my press package is the photo of me and the president mm-hmm. and they're and they never use that one if they're smart and yeah. if they do use it i have to question it and kind of do a little bit of research like what's exactly yeah how do they feel about our country and there how they feel about the president because if they're not feeling the united states or and or obama i don't mm-hmm. want them to promote the fact that I work with them because mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But sometimes people have said, you know, we didn't use that photo because we don't want anybody to know. Mm-hmm. We just want them to come to the party and yeah. have fun. It's good. Yeah. But So, uh, you, you know, you talk about reading the room. Tell me about those rooms. His working for him? It's just a, I mean, they're all kind of the same. Um, and when I say that, I mean typically an older crowd. Um, those kinds of parties it's, are really easy to do because everybody likes Stevie Wonder. Everybody mm-hmm. likes Al Green. Everybody likes Aretha Franklin. likes yeah and so i just have to play a little bit of what he likes which is what i like too Mm -hmm. but really the when i do the functions for for the president it's 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 normally in between other things that are happen happening to keep people excited Mm kind of like what i did for christina Mm -hmm. if someone's giving a speech and then there's a 20 minute or 40 minute break before he goes on or before whatever band's playing. I'm just keeping the crowd entertained, mm-hmm. not dancing, just talking music. Right. And what works the best within those scenarios is typically old soul stuff. Yeah. Now, having said that, of course, I always have to drop like something. So like the five people there who know what hip, you know, who are yeah. hip hop heads are like, Oh, I yeah. always see like I'll okay. I'll like be looking around the room and I'll see like five people like turn real fast and be like 
wait, he's playing Mob Deep. <laughs> yeah. And they'll be like, they'll give me like a nod. Yeah, no, we get it. But, you know, it's it's some old rock. It's, you know, it's always like some old rock, a little bit of, you know, mm-hmm. some funk. And it's, it's really just comes down to old soul, old, you know, Michael Jackson. But there's something to that. And, you know, I know we were talking about earlier, like that, you know, the DJ's job. But, like, when you're in a room and somebody plays some shit that doesn't belong, but it works anyway, I mean... That'll make your night. That's the best. Yeah. That's how I got that job. That's yeah. how I got all the most important jobs. Go ahead. And it, and it's what I tell. The, the best part of work, one of the best parts of working for the president is the press part. Because when I get the press, at the end of almost every interview, they say, is there anything else you'd like to say? And I always kind of give the same answer, which is, the reason why I got this job, which is the reason why I got the job working for Dre and working for Prince and working for Stevie Wonder and working for Madonna and you name it, is because I was doing my thing when I got the job. Yeah. I, I was just doing my thing. Mm-hmm. I, I was doing, I was being creative. I was trusting my instincts. I was reading the room and I was creating a beginning and a middle and an end within a night and I was looking around the room and I was figuring out what people wanted Mm. and I was putting it all together and I wasn't trying to be anybody else other than who I am and I've always done that and that is how I got the job for all these people including the president somebody heard me on a night do what you just said you know I of course I have to play a lot of the hits Mm -hmm. that are current Sure. There's a way to play all the hits, but there's a way to throw in some Gangstar. Mm-hmm. There's a way to throw in some Biggie. There's a way to throw in some Metallica, really, if you do it right, yeah. or whatever your thing is, if you just know how to, where to put it and how long to put it in for. Mm-hmm. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, I'm sorry I said that. Um, <laughs> right. It just came out. Um, no, so you know, the message within those interviews is the most important thing in a world of a billion DJs. I mean, everybody's a DJ now. It's it's insane. Yeah. Like a, this is no joke. A guy that used to work in the bathroom is a DJ, but in order to progress have to take chances i think in anything that you do well so let's talk about that i know you know one of the other things you're doing is is photography last time we saw each Mm -hmm. other you were Mm -hmm. holding a camera Mm um and there's i think on your site there's a lot of photos Mm -hmm. photo work Mm -hmm. so how does that happen i just any way that i can express myself artistically that in my opinion doesn't suck I want to do yeah and so photography is just one of the things that I tend to take I have a lot of friends that are really pretty (laughs) I know a lot of pretty girls sure um and I like to make them look as beautiful as I can sometimes by taking photos of them in my own way which tends to be a little bit kind of darker not like in a 
hot topic, gothy kind of blood way, but in a romantic, gothic mm-hmm. kind of way. It's just dark tones. Yeah. I like earth tones and dark things. So I just started taking pictures of friends, really. Mm-hmm. And I just found that like it was just one more way for me to express myself as an artist by, um, you know, creating something within a frame and uh i don't do it you know professionally Mm -hmm. i just do it for fun but Mm -hmm. i found that a lot of people just keep calling me like we do this for me we we need somebody to do this we need somebody to do that and so a lot of people like what i do which is cool because i just i don't do it for any other reason that i like the results Mm -hmm. and you know i just like i like um capturing a moment in time i think that's what it really is for me is like you capture a moment and it's there forever and never goes away and i like being part of like those moments and i think that as far as you know what other people have told me about the pictures that they like of mine is that it feels like the girls that i'm taking pictures of trust me in a way that they don't see in a lot of other Hmm. photos now i'm taking pictures of records it's rad i oh cool i i started taking pictures of records it's it's dope I I just took a picture of a stack of records in my I have so I have so many records. Of course. I took a picture of a stack of records just um I think I was getting the lighting right or something and or, or I was trying a lens or something and I realized that you could see some of the, you know, um names of the songs or albums on the sides of the records. Mm-hmm. So what I started doing was I started taking everything away so you couldn't see any words just colors Mm. and then i'd find interesting names of records that worked well together and and had a message oh that's cool and i put them near each other so now it's just a stack of records that are like tons of different colors but in the middle there'll be like Mm, two different records that that have some kind of message so i nice starting to do something that kind of and it means something to me because Mm -hmm. my records mean a lot to me and of course I don't use them. I feel bad. I walk by them. I'm like, sorry, man. I'm sorry, guys. I love you, but like, you're too heavy. Yeah. yeah. Like, totally. Um, so I felt I feel guilty a lot. So it's nice to be able to like use my records That's in a creative hilarious. way without actually having to carry them around. So is it is there ever going to be a time when you are done DJing? I think about that a lot, and I don't think so. You know, I I get a lot out of it. Mm. I love. It always goes back to that little kid in me that just, I get so much about the pleasure and fun and the things that people are getting out of what I'm doing Mm -hmm. that really adds a lot to my life. I mean, I've had, I've, I've been a part of so many amazing things. I mean, everything I've ever done is, everything amazing I've ever done in my life is indirectly or directly a result of music mm-hmm. and DJing is part of that. So, you know, as long as there are still rooms full of people that want to hear what I'm doing, mm-hmm. I'll f- probably do it until I just can't do it anymore. Like, like physically can't yeah. do it anymore. And I don't want to be that like 80 year old, well, you know, look, Giorgio Moroder came and DJ with me the other day. Yeah. He's 70. You know, I think he's 74 or five. Yeah. And he, he, he was killing it. Mm-hmm. Ish. 
but you know yeah. he's in his 70s and he's yeah. traveling all over the world DJing yeah. it's insane so it's possible yeah, yeah. It's awesome. I mean he hasn't he never DJed before the last year but sure so we have one more one more mm. make it good uh, what do you think you've sacrificed to get to this mm, point this is an interesting question Mm. I've sacrificed um, I think I, I originally w had a different path in life which wasn't such an artistic one even though I think there might have been ways I could have been artistic about the thing that I was meant that I was preparing on doing early in my life um, which wasn't really artistic at all it would probably would have made me a lot of money had I continued in school and, and done what I wanted to, or what I think maybe my family originally intended for me to do. Mm -hmm. um, and there came a time when I really, I mean, that was the question was, do I continue in school, in college and go on to do this job, which could make me a, a shit ton of money or do I, do what my heart is telling me to do and I know my family will back me on no matter what I do even though they want me to kind of do this one thing I know they'll have my back no matter what I do what, what was the job I mean it probably would have been I would have ended up probably engineering or something mm -hmm. I was a math I was a math major so mm -hmm. I, I went to you know I come from a family that's overachievers and really smart family of like overachievers mm -hmm. I call you know I talked to a lot of them at that time and I said you know do you enjoy your life and they all have those kinds of jobs you know whether it's like a lawyer doctor mm -hmm. that's kind of you know Olympian gold medal winning Olympian like even that's a little different are you guys happy yeah I mean we got the house got the cars and mm -hmm. okay but are you happy mm, yeah I mean you know we travel around the world in the summertime and but you know, I, are you underneath it all? Is this what you really wanted out of life? And I think ultimately it was always kind of the same thing. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. And at that point I was like, you know what? It doesn't feel right. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to, I want to, I want to do something artistic. Yeah. My, everything about my soul was telling me, stop going to school. You're not going to be happy. And so I just started DJing. Mm. And so I think, you know, recently I've kind of been looking back and I, I realize I could have made a lot of decisions. I never based anything I ever did on money because I, I, it doesn't make me happy. And I've reached a point in my life where I've reached a point in my life where I've realized that some of this, the decisions that I've made because it's always really been about me may have been a little bit selfish and now that I realize that someday I'm going to want a family and kids and wife and I may have made other decisions had I thought about that sooner because sure. I know that I need to provide certain things that had I made other decisions I probably most likely would have had you know 
a lot more money, mm-hmm. but it was never about that for me. So that's the long answer of, I think I sacrificed a lot of money, but I don't really mind it because now, you know, there's, I can't really look back. Right? This is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I can only look forward and yeah. you know, base, you know, what I'm going to do in the future off of these things that I'm realizing now. So, <laughs> you know, I, I've had right. a life, I've had the most amazing life and it's all yeah. been because of music and DJing and playing music and loving music and trusting my instincts and having fun. And so, yeah. Um, I, okay. I, a couple of quick questions. Yeah. Who's your favorite DJ? Mm, there's different guys for different reasons. I mean, I think, um, AM was one of them for, you know, a lot of reasons. Um, Jazzy Jeff, I, I'd probably say Jeff. Mm-hmm. Jeff's my favorite DJ. Um, Kate Capri has his moments. Um, and, uh, Z Trip for certain reasons. I love the chances that he takes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in general, it'd probably be Jeff. Yeah. We hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah he's the best. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, What's the, re- what's the last time you remember hearing a record and thinking, that's my jam? Like a new record? Not necessarily new. Mm, that's a tough one. Um, there's a, a record that, there's a guy named Sean Perry who was a DJ in mm-hmm. L.A., who used to put paper over the labels of his records so no other DJs could see what they were. Yep. And so we'd always go up to him and say, like, what the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. And he'd say, because back then you had to figure it out yourself. No one wanted to really no, share the information because no one else wanted them people biting their shit. Right. So everything would be covered up. And I remember him playing this song. I, don't, I think it's called Mather by the Dave Pike set. Oh, wow which is this crazy funk song with sitars over the top of it. It's sick. And he used to play it. And I always used to ask him, what the fuck is that? And he never told me. And I, it was years later that I finally figured out what it was. But I heard it the other day, and I was like, and I hadn't heard it in a long time. I was like, that's my fucking jam. That shit is dope. So you should, I'll send yeah, it to yeah. you. It's I'll check shit. It. I'm going to check it out for sure. What about you? What about you? What do you listen to? Oh my gosh, I have to look at my phone. I'm like really into this girl girl group called Holy Child. Yeah. Yeah, they're really cool. They're different. What's that song I sent you? Um, Odessa Flume. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mostly that, and then this new one that's kind of like cheesy, but I like it. Years and years. Mm -hmm. They're called. Mm -hmm. I like a lot of electro, like indie stuff that's cool is that what it's called yeah i think so (laughs) yeah i like a lot of that you know lately like for me i mean you know like probably 80s Mm r&b or or you know Mm -hmm. even a little like 90s Mm r&b like to me there's something i mean i i'm fascinated that it seems like r&b is a 
more or less a dead genre. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's Miguel. There's a couple things mm-hmm. happening, mm-hmm. but it's kind of like compared to where it was mm-hmm. 20 years ago, it's and, gone. and for 40 years before that, mm-hmm. right? It's more or less gone. Mm-hmm. And I think that music has a certain timelessness. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk a little bit about hip hop because we're obviously different, very different relationships to that music, and some of the stuff that we grew up on. Mm-hmm. There's the classics that kind of hold up. A lot of it doesn't really hold up. Mm-mm. We are having a conversation about Compton's Most Wanted. Mm-hmm. And it's like, eh. I mean, I like it because I remember it. You know what I mean? Like, it, it has meaning. Was it? Con- I think it was. But, you know. Wake your punk ass up. Yeah. I forget what the One song time was. gaffled him up. Somebody played her. No, it wasn't. But somebody played her. Growing up like, in the hood. It just doesn't work. It doesn't. You know what I mean? I mean, and it holds a time and place, mm-hmm. right? But in, it just doesn't work. Right. But I think a lot of that soul music, you know, especially from from our childhood. But I, you know, back to Motown, right? Like th- those songs are just forever. That's what I was trying to say earlier. Is like you have to connect with people on an emotional level, mm-hmm. and if you don't, yeah. your song's gonna come and go, and yeah. th- that's okay. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with like having a hot song. And then it going away, but to have a a, a song that lasts forever mm-hmm. should mm-hmm. be the goal. Yeah. Are there any hot songs today that you're listening to? Mm. Yeah, that was my next. Um. Yeah, that's a tough question. Uh. I I I listen to a lot of I listen to a lot of new music. I don't connect with a lot of it. Yeah. Um. So for me to really get into something, I need to connect with it. But as a DJ, I need to be up on everything. So I'm constantly searching out new music. Mm-hmm. But there's very few things that I hear where I'm like, I'm feeling that. Mm. But Run the Jewels, like, I love. Mm-hmm. It's dark. And it's hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> Fashion slave, you protested to get in a fucking look book. Everything I scribbles like the anarchist book book. Look good, posing in the center for the book book. Black on black on black, wait, dusty man, that is my crook book. How you like my styling, bro? Ain't nobody styling, bro. About to turn this motherfucker up like Rikers Island, bro. my thuggers and my cripples and my blooders and my brothers. When you niggas gon' unite and kill the police motherfuckers or take over a jail, get them CO's hell. The burning of that sofa, goddamn, I love and so there's a few kind of um, new kind of dark hip hop songs that I like. Um, I like um, Leon Le Havis. Mm-hmm. She's like R&B. She's like like kind of like a Prince-ish mm-hmm. girl singer, plays guitar, and she's dope. I listen to her. Um, I love the new Miguel record. I think he's dope. The second one that said that. Yeah, it's dope. Mm-hmm. Within the week. Yeah, Miguel. Does it sound like the last one? A lot like the last. No. One? No. Okay, then it's I'm. She should check it out. It's dope. He's dope. No, I love him. I think he's awesome. I have a kid. I'm gonna send you. He's actually he's he's done the show. This kid Gabriel Garcon Montano. Real sexy. Uh, he's a little kind of neo soul, but he's mm-hmm. he's got some. It's yeah. pretty interesting. I'll send it to you. Yeah, Drake sampled um, his song Six Eight and. It's Jungle, right? Is it Jungle? I think. Drake song's Jungle. No. Yes. 
I think I don't know what I it is, but his song is six eight, and he he does it way better anyway, job. It's really yeah. It's oh wait, no, I now I know who you're talking about. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh huh. Red Bull Select. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's no, he no, he's dope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's dope. No, I played really I played one of his songs on something I did recently. Oh really? Yeah. Nice. Uh. Yeah, he's like I, in that Miguelish category. Yeah, I did some show. Like I was on I or a playlist oh, cool. or something for some show, and uh, he was one of the songs that I chose. Nice. Yeah. yeah. There's a new guy called I, I'm gonna mess it up. Galleon, weight in gold. Yeah. Oh, it's badass. It's like that. There's like some a style with a little bit of like. I don't know. I'm gonna mess up the terms, but it's dope. I'll play it for you. I'll send you the track. Okay. Deal. How do people find you online? Adam Braven. So it's at Adam Braven mm-hmm. or at. Um, I control the band's account, so it's at She Wants Revenge. If anybody even cares about that band, which doesn't, <laughs> doesn't really exist anymore, I think people still. Care we about stopped it. doing it. Yeah, I, I'm, I did a solo record. Oh yeah, I'm singing on it. No shit. No one's heard it yet. Oh wow. It's done, and it's like the band. Nice. I never sang before. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's amazing. Ever, I I did karaoke once. That's fun. well. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate thank it. You. Yeah, thank you. It's fun. Uh, fantastic stories. Come back when you want to promote some stuff. Eh, whenever you whenever you want to have me back, let me know. I'll come Beautiful. back. Beautiful. Cool. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks. That was Adam Twelve, my guest this week on Rebel Radio. Thanks for listening. Check us out next week. Our guest is Dave Nadelberg, founder and host of Mortified. If you're not up on Mortified, you have one week. To watch all of their episodes, the Mortified podcast, Mortified on Netflix. I don't know. Go buy a book. Read something, maybe. And tell all your friends, Rebel Radio, on Dash Radio, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on rebelradio.net. Man, you can't. Anywhere you look, you can find us. Peace. Be the one who ruins fun, just wanna take you home and make you come, you ain't a fan, I guess I'll make you one.